0: I'm Lauren Dimmitt waters I'm a New York City-based blogger and influencer who has been covering beauty, fashion, and lifestyle for what seems like forever. But now I'm a woman in midlife who wants to discover all the secrets to growing younger. I'm ready to explore topics that deal with health and anti-aging, especially when it comes to beauty, fashion, wellness, and longevity. I'll unearth what works and what you shouldn't waste your money on. Even if it's crazy, I'll hunt down the latest and greatest to help us all get through this journey called life with a little humor and a lot of attitude. I want to keep fighting the fight so we can all grow old ungracefully. So welcome to Beauty is a Bitch. Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Beauty is a Bitch. And today we are going to talk about hot flashes and all things menopause. We might go off into a different tangent. My guest today is Dr. Lauren Stryker. She is a best-selling author, a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at Northwestern University's Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine, a certified menopause practitioner of the North American Menopause Society, and the founder and medical director of the Northwestern Medical Center for Menopause and the Northwestern Medicine Center for Sexual Medicine. She is routinely interviewed as a reliable, accurate source for national publications such as the New York Times, Newsweek, the Associated Press, and dozens of magazines. She is the medical correspondent for Chicago's top-rated news program, WGN Morning News, and she has appeared on the Today Show, Good Morning America, the Oprah Winfrey Show, CNN, NPR, the list goes on, Dr. Oz, Fox & Friends. It, I, I could go on for days. For How you doing, Dr. Stryker? I am terrific, and thank you for having me. Oh, well, welcome. And we were just discussing that you and I had met a few years ago, in New York at a, at a conference about menopause. And at the time, uh, I think I was just starting perimenopause and I was sort of like, nice to be here, but I don't really understand what everybody's talking about. But that was a few years ago and now things have totally changed. How do you
1: know why it's such a big deal and why we have to talk about it.
0: Exactly. Now I'm like, uh, you know what we do because women just aren't, well, I think the conversation's starting to happen now. But I'm telling you, a couple of years ago, it sure wasn't. And I had never even heard of the term perimenopause, actually, until my uh, OBGYN mentioned it to me. He's like, you're er, perimenopause. I'm like, what? I mean,
1: you, you know from the work that you do that that's pretty rare that your OBGYN actually mentioned it to you. Because while you say that this conversation is happening, the truth of the matter is it's not happening everywhere. Okay. You know, when you look at big cities, if you look at New York, LA, Chicago, people that are going to OBGYNs that actually talk about this, there is some discussion, but the majority of the world's, they are blindsided
0: completely. Yeah, well, I was, I was blindsided. So I'm hoping that through this podcast, and I mean, I, and I know many of my peers, we're starting to talk about this now, like we are having the conversation, which at least is good because I know my mom, you know, went through run of you didn't talk about it. You didn't talk about it.
1: You talk yeah. about the, the, the talk when you go through puberty and they forget the second talk.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you just don't talk about it. So, you know, I'm I i I'm hoping that we, we, the collective women that are starting to talk about this, are creating an atmosphere where this is a more acceptable conversation. In fact, we should be having it. I know I talk with my girlfriends about it and um, I'm very open about it. And I hope more women are because why suffer in silence if they're, is something to do about it, or at least get going, learning about what you can be doing. So uh, my first question for you is, um, why do we get hot flashes, and, and what do they mean?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting, because if you look at the reason why we get hot flashes, it's actually not entirely understood, which is why it's so difficult to come up with medications and pharmaceutical options to alleviate hot flashes, to Just simplify it. Basically, we all have a thermostat in our brain. And what happens during menopause as a result of lack of estrogen is our thermostat isn't working anymore. And so our body responds inappropriately so that when you should be not getting hot, you're suddenly getting hot. Your body actually changes temperature. I think a lot of women think that they're imagining this stuff and we know that's not the case. So we do know that hot flashes are a direct result of either lack of estrogen or fluctuating estrogen levels. But as far as from a biological point of view, the exact mechanism that that happens, it's not really understood, which is why we also don't understand why some women get horrible all day, all night, sweat rolling down their back, hot flashes, and other women, it's like, oh, you know, I think I'll take off my sweater. You know, there's such right. a variation. There's a lot of research going on about really the mystery of hot flashes.
0: So, but what, what does it mean when you're getting a hot flash? That basically
1: your estrogen is... is Yeah, basically a hot flash is the first red flag that your ovaries are not exactly pumping out estrogen the way they did when they were 20. And that's one of the things that's also so confusing is women will get their first hot flash, if you will, or their first group of hot flashes, and then they think, oh, this is it. Maybe I am starting to go through perimenopause. And then they'll be fine. It will disappear for another few months or another few years. And basically, that's what perimenopause is, is this waxing and waning. Uh, They're called the, the hormonal roller coaster, that your hormones are kind of all over the place. And when your estrogen levels dip down is when you may flash, And one of the things that often happens is a woman will go to her doctor and say, you know, I was having some hot flashes. Could you please check the hormone level? And then her well-meaning, very often an internist or family practice doctor, will say, sure, check her estrogen level and say, nope, your estrogen level is just fine. And the reason is because that's the nature of perimenopause. On Tuesday at 2 o'clock when she went to her doctor and had her blood drawn, Her estrogen level was just fine. But a week before that, it might have been at its lowest point, which is why she was flashing. So then women get even more confused because they're like, I don't get it. You know, I know I'm flashing. I know something's not right. And I went to my doctor and they emphatically said, nope, you're not in perimenopause. And
0: in those cases, the woman is right. The doctor is wrong. That's interesting. Wow. Because I, yeah, you know, it's funny. Now that you mention it, I think I got like my first little you're right, like a group of hot flashes, right? Yeah. And maybe maybe for like a week or so. Yeah. And I was like, oh, but then they weren't that bad. Right. And then it stopped. Right. So I was like, oh my God, what's everybody talking about? We're We're talking what's so the
1: yeah. <laughs> and I always tell women, um, don't get too happy so yeah. quick because You know, things, this is not an indication of how it's going to be. The other thing that happens as well is women will get hot flashes. And then, of course, they go on the internet and they're told, you know, get some red clover and get some wet cohosh and get all this stuff. So they march off and they spend a month's salary on all of these botanicals that the, you know, very wise person behind the counter, um, (laughs) the uh, you know, Home Foods has told them to buy. And then they come home and their hot flashes go away and they say, oh, my God, this is great. It worked. And what they don't realize is their hot flashes would have also gone away had they eaten blue M&Ms because that's just the nature of hot flashes. They come, they go. There's a huge placebo effect when you do try a lot of these things. So it's no wonder that it's a really confusing time.
0: Well, and then here's another question that I know I've been asked, and I I think I know what your answer is going to be, but maybe you will surprise me. But how long do hot flashes last?
1: We used to say only a few years, and then a very good study came out a few years ago that they actually followed women for about 20 years to get to understand what the natural course of a hot flash was. And what we now know is that hot flashes on average, on average last seven to 10 years. But we also know that it has a lot to do with genetics and with your ethnicity. So as an example, Caucasian women tend to be in that seven to 10 year range. Asian women, shorter, five to seven years. Black women, they not only have the worst hot flashes, but they suffer the longest, sometimes 12, 14 years. And quite frankly, for many women, it's lifelong. So what I tell women in general, when I'm talking to a mixed audience, is overall, you can expect your hot flashes to last on average about seven years, understanding that there's a real variation depending on your your personal genetics. The other thing that's interesting, too, is when this data first came out and a lot of people said, oh, that's because it's diet related. You know, Asian women have mild hot flashes and they last the shortest amount of time because they have such a good diet, you know, fish and rice and all this. No, if you take Asian women that eat cheeseburgers and fries from morning until night, they still have the shortest period of time of experiencing hot flashes because we talked about that thermostat in the brain. For whatever reason, their set point is different. So it's such an important point to make because I can't tell you how many women will come to our center and say, I'm having these horrible hot flashes, but you know what? I'm just going to ride this out. I'm going to wait it out. It's not so bad. Um, and then when we tell them, well, you're going to be waiting a long time. <laughs> and then when they find out what the average length is of hot flashes, they, uh, they sometimes reconsider their, their <laughs> plan of, of toughing it out and dressing in layers and walking around with a fan. So did I surprise you or is that what you thought? I, you know. it's,
0: about what I, it's about what I thought. I knew it was longer than like a year you know, yeah. or two. But um, the thing maybe, and you'll tell me if I
1: surprise you on this one or not, because the other hot flash fact that a lot of people really don't know is that a hot flash isn't just about being miserable. Hot flashes are actually harmful. And this is fairly new data that's really come out only in the last you know, three to five years, As we look at long-term data from a big study called the Swan Study, which is the study of women across the nation, where this study's been going on for almost 15 years now, and they start studying women before menopause and then keep studying them. So we have an amazing amount of data, and what we now realize is, as you know, um, when women go through menopause, is when their risk of heart disease accelerates, bone loss accelerates, but not with everybody. Not with everybody. So if you take women let's say heart disease, and you take women and you eliminate all the other risk factors for heart disease, you know, obesity and smoking and and family history and all of that. And then you just look at the women who flash and the women who don't flash. What we now know is that the flashers are the women that actually have an acceleration of vascular damage that leads to heart disease. Why is that? Because every time someone has a hot flash, there's an inflammatory response that occurs there's an increase in cortisol, yeah. which can cause arthrosclerosis, this buildup, this dangerous buildup in blood vessels. So this whole, again, this notion of, oh, it's just hot flashes. I'm going to tough it out. My message is loud and clear. Before you decide to go that route, you may want to really think in terms of the damage that your hot flashes may be doing to your heart, to your bones, to your brain and cognitive function. All of those things are impacted by hot flashes and the other little piece of it is people don't even realize how many hot flashes they're having because we women are not aware of all of them. You know, we now have really good studies where people are actually wired up so that their temperature is monitored as they sleep throughout the night and throughout the day. And most women are only aware of maybe 50, 60% of their flashes. Wow.
0: That, okay. That's surprising. I did actually know about bone and heart health only because yeah. I've actually done some podcasts on those and- Again, as I I constantly say in my own podcast, I'm I love hearing all this because I am learning that some of this information really does meld together. And I would think that the response that your body has of like kind of like flight or fight when you're going through, you know, it's stressful, whatever, it's going to raise your cortisol, et cetera, et cetera, and that is not good for you long term. So. But the other
1: thing that's interesting about this whole thing with hot flashes causing damages is we've known for a long time, you know, since the 90s really, that estrogen actually is good for the heart because it's a vasodilator. So it gets more blood where it needs to go. And everyone kind of just thought, well, that's why it's good to be on estrogen as far as heart health. And yes, it's true that estrogen is a vasodilator, but now we also realize that it's the eliminating the hot flashes part also. So as we come up with other options to eliminate hot flashes beyond estrogen, the point is, is those are gonna help your heart too. It's not just taking estrogen that's gonna help your heart. It's anything that gets rid of hot flashes.
0: Well, that, that, um, that leads me to, I mean, you, you did answer one of my questions was, you know, uh, you know, are they harmful besides making you miserable? The answer obviously yeah. is yes. Uh, if they persist, if you allow them to persist you know, long-term. So is, is there a way to stop them quickly? Is there anything you can do? Estrogen, honestly, is the, the best way to stop
1: them quickly right now. Um, and not only stop them quickly, but stop them the best. If you look at other options to uh, to alleviate hot flashes, and some of them absolutely will help. But right now, the gold standard is, is hormone therapy, is estrogen. Because while we can talk about a lot of other pharmaceuticals that we use, you're familiar with the term off-label, that are intended for other purposes, but that we know can be helpful in other circumstances. There are a lot of drugs which we have found do help hot flashes. A drug called gabapentin, which is a neurologic drug. We also look at at um, the SSRIs, which are intended to treat depression, but in very low doses, um, can alleviate hot flashes. None of them work as well. None of them work as quickly. So, you know, we, there's some uh, drugs in development. I don't know if you're familiar with the candy drugs. Um, this is, we won't get into too much in the weeds about this because they're not available yet, but this is a non-hormonal drug. This will be a prescription drug, which is now in phase three clinical trials and very close to getting released, um, which will be a a daily pill that basically resets the thermostat in the brain and it's completely non-hormonal. And, um, this is going to for a lot of women who either choose not to take estrogen or have been told not to take estrogen, this will probably be a really good option.
0: So for women that be, their way, I'm thinking that have that have had cancer or whatever and can't yeah. That's okay. So that leads me to my to the question, and I've, I've had this conversation before, but still there's so much misinformation. Um, as soon as I I mention you know that I'm taking hormones, you know, or maybe someone sh- might want to consider that. Mm-hmm. Um, I immediately hear, "Well, I don't want to get cancer. I don't want right. to get breast
1: cancer." And, and this is right. sad. I mean, I fact, it's really sad because it's not just women that have this um, misinformation. It's it's physicians that really don't understand the data. And this is not controversial. A lot of people think that when I talk about this, that this is my opinion. This is not my opinion. I'm evidence based. I rely on the science. I rely on the studies. And it is very, very clear that estrogen does not increase the risk of any cancer, including breast cancer. Um, If you look at that WHI study, which is now 20 years old and we're still relying on it, um, that study was very problematic. There were older women in the study. There's different estrogen, different progestins than we use now. And quite frankly, um, even in that study, the estrogen only group had a 30% decrease in cancer and in all cause mortality from, from other, uh, you know, heart disease, et cetera. Um, so this idea that if you take hormone therapy, it's going to increase your risk of cancer is just simply not true. And women are not getting the message. And that's one of the reasons I'm out there so much talking about it because so many women are suffering and their life is being cut short because of it.
0: No, I, 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 I uh, thank you for that. Cause I too, when I was, when it was suggested to me, um, you know, to to start doing that, to start taking estrogen, um, I you know I was like you know no I, don't, I, I no I don't want breast can-, you know and I I had to learn and you know ne- that's is that the same study that you're talking about? That's the one that the press ran with and. Everything. So it's
1: the like- WHI, yeah, the Women's Health Initiative. That was the one that everyone came out and said, "Oh my God!" And you know, and I actually, um, in, in my books, I talk about it a lot because people really need to understand the data, and women are capable of understanding the data. Yes, it just are. needs to be presented properly. Um, just, I mean, even the fact. It's interesting because more than seventy percent of women in that study were over the age of 60. And the reason for that is they only put women in the study who didn't have hot flashes because they didn't want them to know if they were getting the real stuff or the placebo. So we have a completely wrong population to be studying for multiple reasons. These are the non-flashers and these are older women who already have heart disease, who already have perhaps the beginning of of a cancer. So you can't look at that study and extrapolate it to 45, 50 year old women who are newly menopausal. That's one of the things that we did learn from that study is that if you look at the women in the 50 to 60 year old group, which there were some, as opposed to the older group, the data was completely different. And now we appreciate that there's what we call a critical window, meaning you want to start hormone therapy early from the get go. You don't want to wait until someone is 10 or 15 years out. You can still do it then, but that's when you get into a group that is potentially at higher risk. Having problems. The number one complication from hormone therapy, quite frankly, is blood clots. Absolutely, it's blood clots, but only with oral, the ones that you take in a pill in the mouth form. Um, We tend to go to transdermal estrogen, which is through the skin. A lot of people think it's just a patch, but no, there's lots of options. You know, there's gels, sprays, um, and, and those do not increase the risk of a blood clot. So, you know, the message, the take home message here is A, Hormone therapy does not increase your risk of cancer. B, it is safe. However, it needs to be prescribed by someone who knows what they're doing, meaning the right time and in the right form. And so often when I do discussions like this and someone says, oh, and you know better, I know you wouldn't say this, but so many people say, oh, so women should go talk to their doctor. And I'm like, no. No, no,
0: no. absolutely go not. Talk to the
1: menopause expert because if you talk to your doctor, sadly, they
0: probably won't. You can start with your own
1: doctor because some people, you know, but there are so many doctors who really don't understand this stuff and don't even, know the data. Even
0: OBGYN. I mean, especially OBGYN. Yeah. And,
1: and it, it's really a problem because it would be one thing if they were to say, you know, this really isn't my area of expertise. Let me refer. But they don't. Which interestingly, you know, if someone has fertility problems or someone has a gynecologic cancer, the OBGYN doesn't hesitate to say, you know, you might need in vitro fertilization. I'm going to refer you to the yep.
0: specialist. yep. I've been so there, it's there
1: too. <laughs> not like they say they don't want to admit that they don't know because they're supposed to know.
0: It's it's actually infuriating and maddening. Mm-hmm. It is because they basically you listen to your doctor and your doctor's saying, too bad, you're just gonna suffer.
1: Or... Yeah, well, in my in my book, in all my books, but particularly in in, in my new release that just came out, Sliding Way, Turning Back the Clock on Your Vagina. Um, I have an entire chapter which I call Finding Your Vagina Team, um, which is essentially saying just what we've been talking about, that not only your own doctor probably won't be able to help you, but how do you find someone who does? Because there are people out there who know this stuff. You just need to figure out how to get to them.
0: So let me ask you, that leads to my next question, and we will talk about your books. But what? Um, why are so many doctors clueless when it comes to menopause? Like, why, why?
1: It really, it starts during residency. You know, a lot of people talk about how you don't get this in medical school. We don't expect anyone to get it in medical school. That's not the place for it. You know, medical school, you know, you get one hour on thyroid if you're lucky. You get one hour on diabetes. I and mean, everyone was always appalled when, when they hear they only give one lecture to the medical students over four years. that's just the nature of medical school. However, by the time you get your residency, that's supposed to be specialty training. And these are the OBGYNs that are supposed to learn all this stuff. And they spend time in the fertility clinic and they spend time doing high risk OB. And so I, as as you mentioned, I'm the medical director of the Center for Menopause at Northwestern, which is one of the finest medical schools, one of the finest residencies in the country. And it's really easy for me to keep track of how much time the residents spend in our clinic, because the answer is zero. Um, They don't come (laughs) to our clinic. They don't spend time in our clinic. And in fairness to them, they do have an interest. Residents will say to me all the time, boy, I hear so many amazing things about your clinic. I would love to spend time and learn about this. They don't have time because when you look at, they have requirements to that they must complete during residency and they have so many weeks of high risk OB and so many hysterectomies they need to do and so many this and so many that. And so the only time when they could potentially spend time in our menopause clinic is during their elective time when they've got 20 other things they need to do. So they just don't learn it i didn't you know people are like oh well, how did you get to be such an expert i got to be an expert because later on in my career and we all have different chapters in our career i decided this was an area of interest so i started attending menopause conferences and doing research and reading and writing and now i am an expert in menopause but, but i swear like you, certainly-
0: you didn't go to medical school for this no hmm? you didn't go to medical school for this
1: no no yeah. and in fact I always thought that I was a really good OBGYN and then I gave up obstetrics and I was just focusing on gynecology. And then I realized, oh, I really wasn't so good at gynecology and now I am. And then I started getting into the menopause world and I thought, oh, I thought I was pretty good at menopause, but
0: I really wasn't. And and now I am. So how do you get that to change? Like, how do we, like, how do you get it so that there are more, you know, it's great that, you know, you're in Chicago, I'm in New York, somebody in L.A., you know, we're lucky that we have access to, you know, professionals in, in that arena. But what about like for the people that live in smaller towns or don't have, you know, or don't have access to a big city? Yeah. Like, why are more people, why are more doctors not focusing on this? Is it because it's well, not sexy they,
1: or, or what? It's complicated. But the other thing is, if you, if you go to your typical 50 year old woman on the street right? and ask her, do you go see your gynecologist every year? She'll say, no, they don't go. I do. You know, go, but like ten percent of the world goes and they go when they've got, you know, blood pouring out of their vagina and horrible pain. They don't go just to say, hi, you know, let's talk about
0: menopause Well, Lenox. I don't either, but, no, no, no. <laughs> I but,
1: don't any, but the but the point is is that most women don't even go to a gynecologist when they're done with their babies. And the gynecologist, if you look at a typical gynecologist's day, what they're seeing, they're seeing obstetrics all day long. They're seeing maybe women who have a specific problem like fibroids or endometriosis. But as far as well women visits to talk about these sorts of things, they're just not coming in their door. So if they're not seeing a lot of it, and it is a challenge, um, the pandemic has brought us telemedicine. Uh, We do a lot of consults by telemedicine. But again, that's why I have always really kind of focused on the consumer world, if you will. Because while I am in the academic world and I publish in journals and all of that, I'm one of the few people that writes to the general population about this topic because quite frankly, I think that's the best way to get women this information because they're not gonna get it from their doctors. Oh. They're not gonna get it from Googling it because there's so much bad stuff out there. So um, I made that my, my mission, if you will. And, and wow. the last thing I wanna say before we move on is now that you and I spent all this time talking about how all doctors are clueless, all doctors are not called Well, oh, no, no, of course not. No, no, no. There, there are some family practitioners and internists and, you know, gynecologists who are really, really good at this stuff, and they really can help you out. So you give them a chance first. And, and that's, you know, like, again, I tell people, write, read my books and then take this information, go to your doctor, and if they look at you like a cow in a pasture when you're talking about all these different options, well, that tells you maybe they're not an expert. But if they're nodding and saying, yes, I can help you with this, that's a very good sign.
0: So how does somebody find an expert? I mean, online, like where would they go?
1: Yeah, the best place to go is there's an organization called the North American Menopause Society that I know you are familiar with. I
0: knew you were going to say that too, but I, I wanted to say it. this is a professional
1: society, um, right. which really focuses on the care of women, midlife and, and beyond. And so the, the website is menopause.org. And when you go to that website, there's a tab at the top that says find a menopause practitioner, and then you put in your zip code and you will get a list of people um, who are a certified menopause practitioner. Now, in order to be a certified menopause practitioner, you have to not only attend conferences and put the time in, but you also have to pass a very hard test that basically um, is is a half-day test that tests your knowledge. And All of these things, you know, hormone therapy, vaginal dryness, um, hot flashes, all of this. And while it's not a guarantee that Mm -hmm. you're going to get someone who's an expert, it's your best bet. Now, the other thing people need to know is that you can be listed on that site without being a certified menopause practitioner. There's two categories. There's uh, doctors who just joined NAMS and their name is on the site. And then there's the certified people. So always start with the certified ones. um, And then if there's no one certified that's close to you, then get someone who's non-certified because they may be very, very knowledgeable and they certainly have expressed an interest in menopause and at a minimum, you know, have gone to the conferences and have read, they just maybe didn't take the test and do the rest of the things to be
0: certified. But at least they'll get you in the right direction. And also, I mean, I, it goes without saying that if your OBGYN or your doctor, GP or whatever, like minded so that they don't believe in hormone therapy, then you, you, you go find someone that does. Yeah. <laughs>
1: or or someone that can help you to um you know nurse practitioners advanced practice clinicians and and physician assistants it doesn't always have to be someone with an md after their name uh sometimes there will be someone who has a real interest and an expertise in this who is not an md so you know be open-minded about that and again you know i really go through the details of how to find out what what someone's expertise is
0: so you so you do have a new book coming out did it come out already or it's about oh, to come out? it came out last week Oh last week I oh wow okay great congratulations yeah. can you tell us a bit about it So what this is is I decided um, I really
1: had this epiphany from running my clinic and what we realized is that all of the women that come to the clinic we have them fill out a questionnaire that says what is your what symptoms are you having and as you can well imagine you know people check off every box you know they have like 50 symptoms but then we ask the all-important question at the end, and it's, but what's the one thing you really want to fix? And we find that 90% of the time when someone comes to the clinic, that they really just are coming because they're motivated to fix one thing. It might be their half lashes, it might be their vaginal dryness, it might be recurrent urinary tract infections, but they come in because we'll say to them, look, we only have an hour to spend with you. We can't fix everything. What should we start with? And they're like, no, no, I just want you to make it so that it doesn't hurt like how when I have sex. So the epiphany I had is that the menopause books that are out there, some of them are terrible, as you know, but some of them are pretty good and they have pretty good information. But they're like encyclopedias. Women don't want to wade through 500 pages to get the answer to their problem. So I decided to write a series of books, Dr. Stryker's Inside Information, and this series of books, which is either going to be eight or 10 books, we'll see how it goes, but each one is dealing with a specific symptom. So the first in the series, which was just released, is subsiding Away, Turning Back the Clock on Your Vagina, and basically these are all the vaginal symptoms that women experience after they go through menopause and during perimenopause. And it's not just about the sexual issues in terms of painful sex and, and vaginal dryness and all that, because we also know that in the overriding syndrome, which is called genital urinary syndrome of menopause, a phrase that you're familiar with, but a lot of women are not, you know, basically we are looking at the impact of the lack of estrogen, not just on the vagina and the vulva, but also on the urinary tract. So for a lot of women, their problem may not be painful sex. It might be that got to go feeling recurrent urinary tract infections. So this first book, Slip Sliding Away, Turning Back the Clock, really deals with all the hormonal and non-hormonal issues. And it, most important, the fixes. You know, I am solution oriented. So I designed this book that honestly, it's not a long book. It's 120 pages Someone could read it in an evening or two. And when they finish this book, they will know the solutions that they have to choose from so that they can fix that problem. The next book is Hot Flash How. The book after that, I'm doing a Dating After 40 book because everyone wants that one. After that, I'm doing cancer and menopause. After that, I'm doing, um, you know, we were talking earlier a little bit about, you know, diet and, and, and weight yep. management and, and hair and nails and all that stuff. So each book is going to do a different topic with the idea that women will buy maybe one or two or three or the, it whole
0: series, or the whole series or all
1: of them, you know, cause they're standalones or it's a whole series. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm kind of excited about it because so you're like
0: Nancy Drew of menopause.
1: I like kind of like to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, to that point. So the other thing I did to make these books, you know, menopause can be dry, you know, right. Right. (laughs) So I came up with a a character named Francie and Francie is basically represents menopausal women everywhere, but Francie is smart. She's edgy. She's funny and she's, you know, 48, 49 years old and it all happens to Francie. So in this first book, you know, her vagina dries up and it's Francie's quest for to to find lubrication and she gets recurrent urinary tract infections. And in the next book, Francie's going to almost lose her job because of her hot flashes and the next book, she, you know, gets out there in the dating scene. And then Francie gets cancer. I haven't decided what kind of cancer yet, but she's going to get cancer. And, you know, you get the picture. So that Francie, there's this narrative that's running through uh, this Francie character that I'm having a lot of fun with because Francie's very funny. And that's actually some of the best feedback I've gotten from my book is everyone is like, oh, my God, this Francie person is really kind of funny. So Can't I had a wonderful artist yeah, who made the Francie figures and so this 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 series is gonna be
0: different. It's gonna be so, different. Yeah but now we have to like wait. What if we're like in the throes of us and we actually don't-
1: you don't have to wait long because the slip sliding away one is out uh-huh. flashes I'm planning on releasing in two months. Keep in mind these are topics when people write sometimes it takes them a very long time. These are topics that I've been writing about for years. So right. I'm really just kind of updating and packaging in a little bit different way. And the way that I like to think of these books it's like having a consultation with me so when a woman comes into the office and she comes in and says i'm having you know vulvar irritation and dryness and all of this and i sit down and talk to her basically that's what i've done in this first book and with the hot flash book it's the same thing so the truth is is i'm planning on releasing a new book every 2 to 3 months perfect because Great. i'm a very fast writer and most
0: of the stuff i've written about before so you just have to repackage it basically the work is almost done. That's, a, that's great and i think i think the one about cancer is really important because
1: you know it's interesting because when we think in terms of menopause and cancer um so often women are, are focusing on breast cancer with good reason but what you forget is there's a lot of other cancers that may either put women into menopause or will be impacted by menopause. So when we look at other gynecologic cancers, uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, vulvar cancer, vaginal cancers, rectal cancer, you know, I cannot tell you how many women we see in our center who've had pelvic radiation for a number of reasons or who've had chemotherapy and they really need help. And sometimes they're able to take estrogen, sometimes they're not. So it's really much broader than breast cancer. And in this book, I guess have, like I, I haven't decided what kind of cancer Francie is going to get, but it doesn't matter because I'm still going to be addressing every kind of right. cancer in right. there. It's just I'm using her as, as a vehicle. But I'm right. um, really debated about if it should be breast cancer because it's obviously something that so many women want to know about, or if I should make it anal cancer because... Um, people don't talk about that, and yet a lot of women are affected by anal cancer and and the repercussions that it has on on menopause, on their sex life, on their ability to um, even have bowel movements. You know, and this is all about. like we talked about early getting these getting these taboo topics out there. This is yeah,
0: exactly. Really, we, we really do. do.
1: A fecal incontinence podcast. I'm sure
0: that would be. <laughs> Oh yeah, that'll be the next one. Fecal incontinence. There we go. That, I'm sure. I'm sure people, I'm gonna we're going to see one on incontinence is, pretty soon. So. Um, when I look at um on my I have
1: a YouTube channel um Dr. Striker TV and yeah you look at the analytics to see what people are looking at and I have one called Just Say No to Diapers which is oh. hugely popular because I'm personally offended by the diaper industry which makes insane amounts of money from normalizing the fact that women are incontinent and encourages everyone instead of fixing it they oh. encourage.
0: Oh. Diapers. tell and me about it tell it me about it oh nuts i mean of course women should use protection if they need to to manage it but yeah, but now there's whole aisles there's more there's more adult diapers than there are baby diapers when you go to the um,
1: actually that's correct and yeah. um and that's part of the talk that i give on it is looking at the amount of money that is spent every year on diapers and adult diapers have surpassed um baby diapers and one of the reasons that that has happened, of course, is obesity in this country, because we know that one of the, you know, we know that when women lose urine, it's because of some of these hormonal reasons about pelvic floor, those muscles that hold up. And it's not
0: up. just women wearing them either. It's also not men. For men. I mean, they it's- for
1: men too. Um, it's not just women that are, that are gaining too much weight. But what we do know is that one of the primary risk factors is obesity. And very often, and I'm not trying to oversimplify incontinence, because that's a whole other discussion. Right. For we'll,
0: we'll do that one next. We'll do, we'll that, do that one it. later. But a lot of people,
1: honestly, if they just even take off weight, sometimes that will dramatically, dramatically help in terms of this involuntary loss of not just urine, but stool as well. So wow. all
0: there's, important stuff. There's a lot to cover. Boy, we really deviated from hot flashes, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Who wants to wear a diaper when you're having hot flashes? I, Honest to God, I, I, I shot, I used, I'm like, am I the only person that's noticing this? And I'm terrified. Like, I don't want to be wearing this. Like. What, you, know, you don't need to be. You know, I know. I'm like, whatever I got to do, I'm going to do it. Like, if I need to be taking is, Pilates on the public floor and doing, you know, the, I, I'm there. I'm down. I'm down. Oh, there's
1: so much to be done to alleviate that. And people just, they're not told that. They're told, okay, well, you know, people wear diapers, go buy diapers. There's a whole industry. I mean, all this stuff. We, we can go on and on about profit-motivated entrepreneurs who normalize things um, that shouldn't be. I always say there's a difference between normal and common. Right. Let's be clear about that. Incontinence is common. It is not normal.
0: And, 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 but I do want to normalize the conversation on menopause. That's for sure. Because,
1: because that is normal.
0: It is normal. Correct. Every woman goes through
1: menopause. Not, so everyone, not every but,
0: woman needs to wear diapers.
1: But see, that's the other thing, too. And we talk about, um, I don't use actually the word go through menopause anymore. I'm trying to use the phrase enter menopause. Okay. Because, because people have this idea that it's something that you just have for a couple of years. Face, and right. Menopause. And people say, When am I going to be done with menopause? And I'm like, when you die, when you because it's the phase of life. And the reason why that's so important is that if you have hot flashes and then your hot flashes go away, it doesn't mean that you're no longer in menopause. It just means you're no longer having hot flashes. And if you look at the other issues, you know, bone health and brain health and vaginal health, those things continue to be an issue. Vaginal dryness, unlike hot flashes, doesn't go away in a few years. It gets progressively worse if you don't treat it. So, I think we also have to just change the language because language is important.
0: You're right. You're right. Like, not saying diet and saying weight management. You're right. Mm-hmm. There's like, the, but I think this will all come in, also come sure. in time. And when people like you and me and yeah. maybe the women listening to this, we all just start to feel, uh, you know, more, more, not just normal, but like empowered by talking about yeah. it. You know, but
1: part of the other thing, and one of the other things that I'm being very involved in is, is the impact on menopause in the workplace, because um, we have, and I just actually wrote a letter to the New York Times, which they did not take, but I try, um, about the, the fact that we have a lot of good data, which shows that women, um, as they go through perimenopause and menopause, that they drop out of the workforce, that they make mistakes, that they don't get promotions, uh, the costs to the companies, and nobody wants to talk about it. Because HR is worried that they'll be targeted yep, yep. and be accused of ageism, yep. um,
0: and brain and brain fog is, is definitely fog a is real. And
1: right, another study just came out looking at it, and and these are all things. Again, you know, we talk about fear of hormones. We know that women that take hormone therapy early on have much less cognitive difficulty. And, but, but we're in a situation then women don't want to talk about it when they're having trouble at work because, first of all, their supervisor might be like 25 years old mm-hmm. and, you know, the, they're already worried about ageism and being embarrassed. So women just tough it out or not or actually drop out of the workforce. So that's yet another reason why we need to get this conversation Is going.
0: Is Francie going to have hot uh, brain fog?
1: Yeah, well, that's actually, you know, it's funny because um, – In book one, we're so focused on Francie's vagina. Um, And in book two, it's going to be all about hot flashes, brain fog, and the fact that she really almost loses her job. I'm I'm actually right.
0: Okay, so it is. It's in the second book.
1: Here she is. Francie is whip smart, and she's a doer, and she's an achiever, and she's high functioning, and she's at the prime of her professional career. And suddenly, not only is she sweating through her pits at board meetings, but she can't remember why she's there. And, you know, that she truly almost loses her job. And, and then of course, you know, goes on her journey to find that she can get rid of these hot flashes and get a decent night's sleep and all of that. But I focused a little bit on Francie's dating life in the first book and the fact that she's having sex with men that, you know, um, it's not going so well. I pretty much abandoned that in the second book and focus on her as a professional and then circled back in the third book to now that she's, not up all night with flashes and she's got her vagina working that she's going to finally get out there in the dating world. And that's going to be- I love
0: that. A- I'm stage. glad you're going to talk about brain fog because that's another, that's a whole other topic. Ooh, but totally, would, yeah. Which I'm going to definitely get into because I, myself and a bunch of my friends and we're all like, oh my God, I, th- I might be losing my mind, you know? And it's like- feel
1: like they're losing their mind. And then what happens is they get anxious, of course. Yep. And then they go and they're given antidepressants and the antidepressants- yep. Then they, you know, lose their ability to have an orgasm (laughs) in their sex life. And, you know, it goes and they gain weight. It goes on and on. You know, they go down the slippery slope of getting treated for one problem when that's really not the best approach.
0: Oh, my gosh. There's a lot here. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. But now uh-huh. you know why I'm writing a whole series of books. I do. I do. and I'm. Um, yeah. Not everybody has every issue, but there's a
1: lot. The other reason I'm also doing a series like this is so I can update them easily. Because one of the problems with my last book, which came out five years ago, Sex, Rx, Hormones, Party Health. Dated. Out, Data.
0: Yep. You know, it's already outdated.
1: Yep. And yep. You know, I would say 90% of it's still good, but there's enough there that's outdated that I'm not comfortable with it. Yep. So with these new books, it'll be much easier to update them. And
0: you can um, like cycle through them and update. Cycle right. through.
1: And right. um and it's interesting to me. I actually thought I I decided to make it very, very inexpensive. The the digital version is $3.99. The paperback is like $9. Um, I'm not gonna make any money from these books. It's you know, it's, I'm hoping to break even. Right. <laughs> um, but um the idea I thought most women would be downloading them like an impulse three ninety nine why not People are getting the paperbacks
0: no i'm 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 one of those people that buys the paperbacks. you know why because if there's information in there, I want to be able to highlight it, mark it, and keep it Now and you
1: can good. do that on your Kindle, but that's just yet another it's not thing. not the
0: same it's just not yeah. the same you well, know, I'm, I'm that person with the stickies yeah. and the you know the highlighter and the And I like turning a page. I do.
1: I do. You know what? I like a book. I like the New York Times, you know? I sit there with my New York Times and I read it online. It is not the same. It's not the same. And and you're a writer. I wonder if you have this experience. But when I write and I write at my computer, before I am done, before I press send, I print it out and I sit down and I read the whole thing on paper. And it is amazing what I find not only Um, in errors, but just saying, no, this has to be reorganized. This is not reading how I want it to. It's always the
0: final step. I don't do that as much anymore. I I used to, but uh, now I am much better editing, obviously online, but it is true. If I print something out, I always catch something that I didn't notice, but I've gotten better at it and you will, you will too. I promise. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I've done this a long time, and yeah. I just and I have to I have to admit that I get lazy. Like if I'm just writing it for my website and this and that, I don't. But when it comes to publishing a book, oh, for sure, for yes, sure, I'm printing <laughs> that out.
0: because I have a website, and if something is wrong, I can go in and change it. You know, at any time. But once once it's printed in a book, it's printed. but I you know it's funny. I know a lot of women that it's it's interesting. Like I don't mind reading a novel, you know, uh, digitally. Yeah, Uh, if it's something like a, you know, with information that I want to be able to refer to, I like it on a book. I'm going to, I'm going to get it right after, um, we're finished with this. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. Of course, I want to have you back and do other things like brain fog and everything else. Um, so anyway, everybody, we're going to say goodbye to Dr. Stryker. Thank you so much for your time. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a a rating and review on Apple podcasts. It really helps me out a lot. And I have a new pro aging podcast weekly. So please contact Lauren at fountainof30.com for sponsorship opportunities. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Until next time, take care.